Um, Bill and Donna got back from Honduras in Georgia, but uh, they went to a basketball game tonight. So everybody, loud enough so they can hear it on the camera. Everybody say, shame, shame on you. So, anyway. Yeah, let your priority reign. Glory. Are you talking to me or Junior? Sure. Okay. I was just wondering if you were talking to me. No. <laughs> okay. Let's go ahead and get started. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight that we can gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the victory that's, that's ours. And as we continue to look at the way that faith and grace work together, Father, we just pray that you will give us revelation that we might take these truths and apply them in our lives and walk in the victory that is ours. And so we bless you tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name. We just give you praise and honor and glory in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> well, we'll be finishing this up tonight. We've been talking about the balance between grace and faith. And we've been talking about how the two of them work and operate um, together. Uh, and we've looked at it from the standpoint that it's um, never been God's intent to withhold anything from us. But oftentimes what happens is because we haven't recognized the finished works of Jesus, we haven't seen what he's truly done for us, we've not um, stepped into it, we've not appropriated it in our life. And as we've been sharing, we've been talking about the fact that it's um, uh, grace is God's part and faith is our part. That uh, grace is what Jesus has already accomplished for us. It's the completed works. It, but the way that we appropriate it or the way that we receive it is by faith, by acknowledging and recognizing what Jesus has truly done for us. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but growing up in a uh, denominational church and looking back on it, you know, the thing that saddens me the most is those years that um, the truth was there but was never made available to me, wasn't revealed to me. Well, we're not going to allow that to happen. We're going to recognize uh, what Jesus has done for us. You know, <clears throat> it's an interesting thing. When you think about creation, when you think about Adam and Eve, you know, before God ever put Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, everything that they needed was already available to them. It was there. And, you know, when Jesus finished his work, when he sat down at the right hand of the Father, what that means is he's, he's completed the work. So that means everything that is needful, that's necessary for you and I to be able to live and walk the victorious life, it's already been provided for us through Christ. Uh, and so that's what we want to be looking at. And so let's begin tonight by looking at Ephesians. We're going to look at um, the first chapter, <clears throat> verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. And we're going to be covering a lot of passages that we've covered over the last four or five weeks. Um, but again, this is our final lesson in this. And so some of it's going to be reviewing what we've already talked about and just 
amplifying or emphasizing the fact of what Jesus has done for us. And so in Ephesians 1.3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed. Remember we emphasize this fact that it's, that it's past tense. Has blessed. It's already been done. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And so it has been done. He's already empowered us for success. Do you realize that God's not called a single one of us to be a failure in any part of our life? In any area of life, we're not called to, to fail. We're to fail. We're called to success. And through Jesus, everything that is essential, needful for us to have success has been provided for us because Jesus has indeed done it all. And the thing that I want us to see is that <clears throat> when we begin to realize this, this is, as it says in your notes, this is a big deal. When you begin to realize everything that Jesus has done for you, that, that you know, if we, if we could truly come to a full revelation of this, we would realize that it's impossible for us to fail. You know, <clears throat> the thing about it is, Many times what we look at as a failure is just preparing us for the success. And the reason we don't ex experience it is because we quit, because we give up. But you know, <clears throat> what it needs to be is it needs to stir us on, spur us on, that we keep going until we experience the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. Because it begins in the unseen so that it can manifest in the physical, you know, the definition of faith. Faith is substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we haven't seen it. But the way that we bring it into the seen realm is by faith, by believing what Jesus is truly taking care of, what he's provided for each and every one of us. Uh, Philemon 1.6 says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now we, we spent a couple of weeks ago, we spent quite a bit of time on this verse. But I just love this verse. That the sharing of your faith, sharing what you believe about Jesus, sharing what you believe he's done in your life, may be effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. Every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You know, effectual means that it's starting to work. You know, <clears throat> none of us are a finished product. You know, I, I may be retiring, but I'm not a finished product. God's still got a little work to do on me and Becky happened to walk into the room at the wrong time because now she can amen that but you know but it, it's it, he started something in each and every one of us and he wants to see it through to completion but it's not going to be complete until we see him face to face and so it's a continual work that's taken place in each of our lives and so he started that but how does it work it says by the acknowledgement the acknowledgement 
of what Jesus has done for us. You know, by the stripes of Jesus, we've been healed. But we need to acknowledge that. And when we begin to acknowledge that, when we begin to declare that, when we begin to speak it out, what happens, it begins to be a, a reality in our life. That doesn't mean the attack doesn't ever come, but we rise above the attack because we continually acknowledge what Jesus has already done for us. You know, <clears throat> you've heard me say this before, you know, that the hardest time to get a hold of something is when you need it. The hardest time to get a hold of healing is when you need healing in your body because everything within you says you're sick. You don't feel good. You're hurt. You know, that's the hardest time to get a hold of it. So when do we get a hold of it? We get a hold of it when we're well. You know, when you, when you feel your best, you ought to be declaring that by the stripes of Jesus I've been healed. That's why I feel the way I've, I feel. That's why everything is right, because by the stripes of Jesus I've been healed. When's the time to get a hold of prosperity and provision? When your needs are met. And so when everything is going wonderful, everything is hunky-dory, just begin to declare, proclaim what Jesus has done for you by, you know, uh, he supplies all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. He became poor that I might become rich. That's what Jesus did for us. And so we begin to declare that. We begin to proclaim that. We begin to speak that out. Every spiritual blessing has been placed in us. And so when we receive the grace of God, every one of his blessings are on the inside of us. They're in our spirit. Our spirit man is as perfect as our spirit man is ever going to be. But that spirit man has to have a means of expression. And when we begin to get the revelation, the realization of who Jesus is and what he's done in our life, we begin to speak that out. That which is on the inside begins to manifest on the outside. It begins to be the invisible becomes visible. People begin to see and they, 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 they are able to acknowledge there's, there's something different here. And it's because we begin to recognize what Jesus has done in our life and we begin to speak it out. You know, <clears throat> several years ago, um, we had these friends, the Nissans in town. You've probably heard me share this, but we were playing cards with them one night. And, and we had, you know, BC, uh, we had played cards with them and so forth. And, and, but here we are, we're, we're saved. I'm, I think I'm pastoring up in Wapaka at this time, either that or I'm going to Bible school. Anyway, we're, we're staying at their house and it's night and we're playing. And, and middle of the evening, they just look at it and they just shake their head and says, well, we can really tell that God's been doing some things in your life. And we look at them and we think, man, we haven't changed that much. What do you mean? And they say, well, you remember when used to, we used to play cards and the two of you would throw these little digs at each other all the time? Then you'd laugh afterwards. We knew you meant it. <laughs> but they said, you don't do that anymore. And you see, we didn't realize what was taking place. But that which was on the inside was beginning to manifest on the outside. And that's what he wants to do in each of our lives with whatever area it may be, where we begin, to, we begin to just simply walk in what he's made available to each and every one of us. In Romans 5, 2, it says, Through whom also we have access by faith. How do we have access? By faith into this grace in which we stand. 
and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know, and why that, that verse is so important is it, it once again shows us uh, another verse, not just simply <clears throat> Galatians, uh, or, yeah, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where it talks about, for by grace we've been saved through faith. But here's another verse that, that, that confirms what that verse is saying. It says that, that through whom also we have access into the grace. See, the grace has already been provided for us. And now by faith, we have access to that grace. So we can see that grace manifest in our life. And how is it? It's by faith, by believing what Jesus did for each and every one of us. And we have confidence in that. Let me read Romans 4.16 out of the Amplified. It says, Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith. Inheriting the promise. Inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith. What is our faith to produce? What we've inherited. What is it supposed to bring to manifestation in our life? What we've inherited. But you know what? <clears throat> you can have an inheritance, but not be aware of it. And if you're not aware of it, you never have access to it or you never take advantage of it. Again, I'm sure you heard this old story. I, I love it, but because it, I think it just uh, spells it out so well. Um, and I'm reminded of it because I watched a thing on the Titanic the other day. But anyway, it has nothing to do with the Titanic, but it reminds me of the story. There was this guy, he was, he was, he was gonna, he wanted to come to the United States from Europe, immigrate to the United States. And so he saved up all of his money and is able to buy a ticket. And so he bought that ticket for the ship, you know, and, you know, it's like a, you know, I, I don't know, month, trip, several weeks. And so, but he, he just had enough money for the ticket. And so he took some crackers and cheese with him and, and uh, you know, because he didn't have any money left. And so every time that was mealtime, everybody would go eat, he'd go down to his cabin and or whatever he had, and he'd eat some crackers and cheese, and they're towards the end of the voyage, and as they're, as they're sailing along, getting close to New York, uh, one of the officers of the ship, somebody in charge of things, came up to him and says, you know, I've, I've missed you, I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, and, and uh, I, I've missed you at all of the, the meals, and and the guy says, well, you know, I, I haven't been eating the meals. And he says, well, why didn't you, didn't you think you'd like them? And he says, well, it took all of my money to buy my ticket. And I didn't have anything left over for the meals. And he says, oh, sir, didn't you know the meals were included in the ticket? And so for this whole voyage, he got to have... Been, been eaten with everybody else, with all the other passengers. Instead, he's eating crackers and cheese. It's a whole lot of born-again believers that are eating crackers and cheese because they don't realize that when Jesus purchased our salvation, it wasn't just simply that we were going to go to heaven when we died. It was all the promises. It was all the, the blessings. And so we inherited 
all of the blessings. When you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you inherited healing, you inherited prosperity, you inherited deliverance, you inherited peace, you inherited joy, you inherited patience, you inherited all of those things. It all belongs to you and to me because of Christ Jesus. Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace, unmerited favor. So we don't earn it, but we receive it by faith. Jesus has done it all. We've done nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. But he's made it available to us in the way that we receive it, appropriate it, is by accepting it by faith. To make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants. That's you and me. Not only to the devotee and the adherent of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who was thus the father of us all. And so it so it's for all of us. And so we need to recognize what Jesus has done. This is talking about the finished works of Jesus. Everything that Jesus accomplished on that cross has already been made available to you and I. The only thing that hinders us from accepting it and walking it is number one, realizing that he did it. And number two, recognizing and believing that it belongs to me, that it's for me. It's not just for everybody else. It's for me. And so we need to accept that and, and walk in that and believe it. Audrey made reference to it, but let's look at Ephesians 2.8 again. And it says, for, for by grace you've been saved through faith. So we need faith to receive the grace. It's already been provided for us, but it's as we acknowledge and we recognize what, what Jesus has done for us. It's not us earning it. That's not what faith is. Faith is not earning it. Faith is recognizing that Jesus has provided it for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. You know, it's an interesting thing about a gift. If you've got to earn it, it's no longer a gift. If you've got to do something, <clears throat> yeah, you just do this, 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 and the other thing, and we'll give you this gift. Well, then that ain't no gift. Because if it was a gift, you'd just give it to me. I wouldn't have to do, go through the hoops in order to earn it. Well, we don't go through any hoops to earn it. All we do is we recognize what Jesus has done for us and as a result of that, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourself, it's a gift of God. But then the next verse says, not of works. It's not because of what we've done. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we don't have anything to boast about. You know, you can have the, you can be the most blessed individual that anybody could ever encounter. But you don't have anything to brag about. Because it's all about Jesus. What do we see in the world? We see in the world that it's all about self. They want to take credit for everything that they've done. And they've, they've earned it. They've done it. But you know what? That's the extent of their satisfaction. It'll never go any further than that. 
You know, it's an, it's, it's an interesting thing. You would think individuals that have achieved so much would have such a, a satisfaction in life. But they don't. It's, it's, it's never enough. Because it's all based on self-effort. But when we recognize what Jesus has done for us, it brings such a satisfaction in our life. Because we know that it's ours. And we also know that we're not going to lose it because he's, he's provided it for us. Although the grace of God that brings salvation, it says in Titus 2.11 that it appears to all men. Isn't that sad? That it's available to everyone but not everybody receives it. Why do they not receive it? Because they don't believe it. They don't accept it. And I think a lot of times it's because they feel that they want to do something. They don't want to have to surrender their will. They don't want to have to surrender themselves. You know, it's really a hard thing to do. You know, because people want to be so self-sufficient. But to get to the point to where we recognize, you know what, I can't do it. Doesn't matter what I do, it'll never be enough. But what Jesus has done, it's more than enough. And so I need to just simply receive what he's done for me. But it really, it, it, it comes down to belief. And remember, we made reference to this earlier, that it, <clears throat> that it begins in the unseen world, and then it manifests in the, in the seen world. It begins in the unseen and manifests in the seen. And that's why faith is the substance things hoped for, the evidence that things not seen. We may not see our healing yet, but when we begin to proclaim it and declare it, we will see it. We may not see our prosperity yet, but when we begin to proclaim it and declare it and stand in faith upon it, we will see it. But it begins in the, in the unseen. Let's look at um, Mark, the 10th chapter. And in Mark, the 10th chapter, we have the account of the blind man. And we drop down to the 47th verse. And Jesus is on the road. He's traveling. And in the 47th verse, it says, And when he, let me, yeah, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so you get a picture of this. Here's this blind guy. And he hears, he's heard about Jesus, evidently. And now he hears that Jesus is coming his way. And so he begins to cry out and he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. Notice he's not saying, Lord, I deserve to be healed. No, he's saying, show me mercy. Show me mercy. You know, <clears throat> I don't remember which preacher it was that I was listening to yesterday, but he was talking about, you know, um, the scripture that talks about whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. And he made reference to the fact, whatever you need, sow it. And, uh, you know, I, I've said many times, I, I, I can show mercy because I know I need so much mercy. I want mercy. I don't want justice. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? 
I don't want justice. I don't want, I don't want what I deserve. I want mercy. And so this is what the blind man is doing. He's crying out and he says, Lord, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody around him is saying, just be quiet. You're an embarrassment. Just be quiet. You're, you're, you're making a scene. Just be quiet. He's coming through our territory. Here's somebody important. And we don't want, we don't want him to be distracted by you. You know, just stay out of the way and be quiet. But he wouldn't. He continued to cry out. But notice in verse 49. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And so he said, hey, have him come over here. Stopped him in his tracks. You know, it's interesting what faith will do. You say, well, you had faith? Yeah, he was, he was crying out. He was, he was asking, son of David, have mercy on me. And he evidently believed that Jesus was willing to show him mercy. And so he's crying out. And he says, have him come over here. And so then they called to the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer. Rise. He's calling to you. Now notice this. And I think I made reference to this a couple of weeks ago. But I just want to reiterate this again. And he says, in, in the 50th verse, he says, And throwing aside his garment, he rose and he came to Jesus. And I don't know about you, I've always wondered about that. Why would he throw aside his garment? And he came to Jesus. But then I was studying, I was reading something, and, and they said that the blind people, you know, today they have a white cane. But back then, they wore a particular garment. And so he threw off his garment. He threw off his blind man's garment. You know what that means? That means he is expecting to receive his sight because he is saying, I don't need that anymore. That's what faith does. You know, we've, we've got some uh, tapes. They're on CD. No, they're not on CD. They're on D DVD. You know, those big suckers. And uh, uh, we're thinking about getting them put on DVD or something else just because they're so good. But it, it's... It's a series that Robert Slairdon had done years and years back. And it was, it was the title of it was The Generals of the Faith. And, 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 one of, and, and it's got these old videos, you know, I mean, from the 40s and the 50s. I mean, they're old. And so there's a, um, there's a video of um, Ellen. What's the? A.A. Ellen. And... Uh, <clears throat> It shows this video, and, and he, he's all excited, and he, he, he's preaching his message, he gets done with it. And so then he brings this, this guy on a cot, brings him up on the platform, and the guy isn't able to, to sit up or anything. And, and so then he shares the story, and what happened was this, they were in Texas, and this guy was from California, and he... I assumed that it was probably cancer. Anyway, he was, he was to die. He wasn't able to eat or anything like that. And uh, his wife loaded him up in the station wagon. 
and drove from, from California to Texas to where A.A. Allen was going to be, be ministering because she believed that he was going to be healed. And so they wheel him out, and, and she's standing there, and she's holding this clothing. And A.A. Allen says to her, well, what's that? And she says, well, that's his suit. And she says, what? he says, so why did you bring the suit? says, because he's going to wear it home. And so uh, A. Allen, I mean, he's, he's just, you can just tell, he's, he can hardly stand it. He's just so excited because he, he knows something's going to happen here. Because, I mean, this is, this is faith in operation. I mean, they've, they've thrown off the garment of blindness. And they have expectations. And so he, he prays for him. And, and the guy sits up. And he hasn't eaten forever. And so the only thing in the commissary, in the place where they're at, is there's this cheese sandwich and a thing of milk. And so they, he brings it out and he says, here, you, you, you want to try something? Guy takes it and he gets a hold of that cheese sandwich. He's just, he's just chowing it down. And Alan said, you, you might want to slow down a little bit. And the guy just, he just eats the thing down and chugs the milk down and he gets up and starts walking. And I mean, of course, the place, go, place goes completely nuts. But you got to understand, the guy couldn't even sit up. He was like a stick. He was like a stick. There's nothing. But completely, completely healed. Well, but there was the expectation. You know, I think sometimes we look at it and, and we, we, don't, we don't demonstrate, we don't have that same expectations. You know, Abundant Life Ministries, starting the first of the year, has a Brand new pastor. You know, so I think everybody ought to come to church. Everybody ought to come to church and have this expectation. No pressure, brother. You know, <clears throat> but have this expectation that God is going to move in a tremendous way. Amen. Amen. It's time to rekindle that fire, to stir it up once again. That because the doors are open, we're going to be there because we expect God to do something. This blind guy received his sight because he expected something. And he demonstrated it by throwing off that robe of blindness. We need to throw off whatever that robe is that's holding us back and say, it's not going to hold me back any longer. I'm going to move forward in the things of God. And so Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I might receive my sight. You know, there was, remember, remember the time there was a guy, um, which guy was it? But you remember the account where the guy came to Jesus and Jesus uh, says, you know, something about wanting to heal him and so forth. And he says, if you're willing, you can heal him. This guy didn't say Jesus if you're willing. Because he had an expectation. He, he, he knew what his will was. His will was for him to be whole. That's what we're, where we need to be. We need to be so convinced. And so what happened? He said, go your way, your faith. Your faith. Notice, Jesus didn't say, my faith. 
has made you whole. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. And immediately you received his sight and followed Jesus down the road. Your faith has made you whole. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? Because she was willing to fight her way through the crowd in a, in a horrible situation, Jesus said, your faith has made you, made you whole. Jesus has done it all. What our faith does, and of course, we're, we're, we're in a different, different dispensation than here. We're in, a, we're in a better place here because Jesus has already gone to the cross for us. He's already paid the price for us. And so our faith is in what Jesus has already accomplished for each and every one of us on the cross that we might be whole. Backing up just a few pages, let's go to Mark, the sixth chapter. I know it's in your notes and up on the board as well, so I guess you can't miss it. But in Mark, the sixth chapter and the 45th verse, here Jesus uh, you know, he just uh, fed the mountain, mount multitudes and he's sending his disciples away. And he says, immediately he made his disciples get in the boat and go before to the other side, to Bethesda, while he sent the multitude away. But, but listen to this. Listen to this. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. What does that mean? They didn't want to get into the boat. They didn't want to get into the boat. Do you know why they didn't want to get into the boat? They saw the storm clouds on the horizon. I'm preaching just a little bit here. But, but I, I believe they saw the storm clouds because remember what happened in just a little bit? There was a storm and they're, they're battling in the middle of the sea and eventually they see the phantom. They think the phantom's coming to take them Home. That's what they're afraid of to begin with. That's why they didn't want to start the journey in the first place. But Jesus made them. He said, get into the boat. Get over to the other side. That should have been enough right there. When Jesus said, go to the other side. What does that mean? That means you're going to the other side. When Jesus says, we're going to have the victory, we may have some storms along the way. But you know what? We can be assured of one thing. We have, we have the assurance that he's going to be true to his word. And he's going to accomplish and he's going to fulfill in our life that which he gave us the promise for. And so when he tells us to go to the other side, it's, it's forever settled. We're going to the other side. Maybe a storm, but storms don't stop us. All storms are an opportunity to see God move in a greater way in our life. And so we need, to, we need to begin to take that attitude. And it says, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw them straining at, oar, uh, at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now, see, some of these guys are fishermen. So they understand the waters. They understand the storms. They understand what's going on. I, I believe that's why they didn't want to go because they see that they, they saw the storm coming. 
Now about the fourth watch of the night, they came to them walking on the sea. He came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. So he's just going he's just gonna to walk on, just walk on by, wait on the shore. You know, he was going to walk right on by, but he got, they began to cry out. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, a phantom. They thought they were dead meat. And cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. What was their problem? His fear. His fear from the get-go. From the very beginning of the trip, it was fear. They weren't confident. And so here they are in the middle of the sea and, and, and they're fearful. Then he went up to the boat, to them, and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Now, no, why, why, why is that last verse in there? They didn't understand about the loaves. They, they, they just thought they had a meal. They didn't understand the miracle-working Jesus. They didn't understand his all-sufficiency in every situation. You know, and that's the problem with people oftentimes with miracles. They may experience a miracle in one area of their life, but they don't realize the, the multitude of it, how big it is, how gigantic it is. Because if you experience a miracle in one area of your life, what it's to reveal to us that that same Jesus is Lord over every area of our life. And so if he'll, if he'll meet my needs when it looks like it's absolutely impossible, he'll meet my need for healing when that time arises. When it appears like I just can't handle the situations anymore, he's my peace that surpasses my ability to be able to understand in this situation how I can have peace. But that's the miracle work in Jesus that we serve. Don't get so caught up in the spectacular that you miss the supernatural. You know, it's easy to see the supernatural in the spectacular. It's easy to see the supernatural when somebody who wasn't able to walk gets up and walks. It's easy to see the, the, the supernatural in the spectacular when somebody's blind and now they can see. But do we see the supernatural when in a time of crisis we feel at peace because we know that my God is more than enough. You see, God is the God of the spectacular. But you know what? That's just as spectacular as the physical thing. Except we look at it and we see something that wasn't that now is. Oh. But it was in the unseen and it became part of the seen. Well, the same thing is true of peace and joy. Oftentimes we don't have those things in our life. They're invisible. <laughs> but he wants to bring them into the realm where we can experience the fullness of what he has made available to us.
In John 6, 21, talking about the same experience, it says, Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. They received him. The moment that we will receive Jesus, the moment that we will receive by faith what he's done for us, we see that or we experience that immediately. That's how it was for them. That's how it is for us. We don't have to have a time of testing and a time of trial. It comes down to believing. Will we believe him? We will, will we receive what he's done for each and every one of us? We see manifestations when our responses to situations are based on faith. When our response to the situation is based on faith. And what does that mean? That means I believe it because he says so. You know, if somebody tells us, sometimes it's, it's easier, but that's, that's not necessarily faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when somebody shares with us about what Jesus has done in their life, and we have the word to base that on, then we can begin to step out in faith. But if we're doing it just simply upon somebody's testimony, we're just, we're just going with a good idea at that time. It's got to be based on what the word says. That's what faith is. And so let me read that again. We see manifestations when our response to situations are based on faith, based on believing that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. In John 6, 11 and 12, it says, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Notice what they had to do. It wasn't like they all of a sudden had these great huge baskets. They had to start giving it out. And as they began to give it out, they just never ran out. You know, it's easy to, to distribute something when, you know, oh, we've got 5,000. Well, let's see. Yep, he multiplied it enough. We've got enough now. No, it's when you start passing it out. That's where faith comes in. And that's what they began to do. They began to distribute the loaves. They began to distribute the fish. And how did it multiply? I don't know. That's God. But that's the God we serve. And that's the God we need to believe in. And that's the God we need to have expectations in. And so that's what the disciples had seen before they went out on the boat. <clears throat> Remember David when he was attacking Goliath? And he said, I killed the lion and I killed the bear. What is this uncircumcised Philistine to me? He had flashbacks of faith. We need to have flashbacks of faith. When we get into a time of crisis, when things begin to look impossible, we have a flashback. Yeah, God took care of me in that situation. If he did it then, he's going to do it now. We have a flashback and we see how God took care of us. You know what? David was having flashbacks. He saw himself defeat the lion. He saw himself defeat the bear. 
And we've had experiences with God. Maybe they've not been as big as we would want them to be, but every one of us in this room, we've had experiences with God. And those moments, how insignificant they may seem at the time, are very significant in our life because those are moments that we can flash back to to say, yes, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because he met my need then, he's going to meet my need now. Because it was done then by grace, and it's going to be done now by grace. And so I receive what Jesus has made available to us. We have another example, a great one in the Bible, in Acts the 16th chapter. And this is where Paul and Silas are in prison. And it says, beginning in the 25th verse, but at midnight, you know, and I believe midnight is significant there because midnight is oftentimes uh, identified with being the darkest moment of the night. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. In other words, they were singing loud enough that those around them were able to hear. Now they're in prison. That may, basically means they're chained up in a sewer. You know, when we went to Rome, we saw the prison that supposedly Paul and Peter had been in prison in. And it was under the street. It was a sewer. There was a big drain right in the middle of it that when the storms came, you know, <clears throat> that's how they got rid of a lot of prisoners. They'd have a flash flood and that was the end of them because they were chained to the wall down below. Well, we went down there and it's, you know, it's, it's a small place. It's dark. It's, 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 it was clean. But I'll guarantee you one thing. When Paul and Silas was in there, it wasn't clean. It was filthy. It was dirty. It was stinky. It wasn't someplace you wanted to be. But what were they doing? They were singing. Why? Because they knew that their God was bigger that Jesus was bigger than any circumstance that would come their way. And they were singing loud enough that the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly, there was an earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And if you remember the account, the guard, when he came in, he was going to throw himself upon his sword, because... You know, he knew he was going to be executed anyway for not taking control and having control of this prison. What did Paul and Silas do? They said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. They didn't go anyplace. They stayed there. Because they were already free. The chains, the dungeon had absolutely nothing to do with their freedom. Because they already saw themselves free. That's where we need to be in our walk with God. We need to begin to see ourselves as being free, being whole, being complete because of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. In your notes in 2 Kings, we talked about this a few weeks ago as well. But remember, we're not going to read it all. You can read it all later for yourself. But it's talking about the Shemanite woman and how uh, she built this little place for the prophet to come and stay. And when he was traveling through the area, he'd turn in there and, and he wanted to do something for her to be a blessing. And, and his uh, associate said, he, you know, they don't have a son and they're getting older. And, and so the prophet says, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. 
And she says, don't, don't fib me. Don't tell me things that aren't true. And within a year's time, what happened? She had a son. The son began to grow. One day he was out in the field with his, his father. And uh, he, got a, he began to cry out. And he says, father, father, my head, my head. And so the father did the typical thing that fathers do, take him to his mother. And so takes him in to the mother, and what happens? He's, he dies. She tells the servant, put him up on the prophet's bed. Go get me a donkey. We're going to go find the prophet. And husband says, where are you going? It's not, it's not Sunday. You know, wonder what in the world's going on? We go to church on Sunday. We don't go to church any other time. I mean, what's wrong with you people here on Wednesday night? You know, and so says, where are you going? He says, all is well. Gets on the donkey, heads out for the prophet. Prophet sees her in the distance, tells the servant, go see what's going on. See if everything's all right with her, with the father, with the son. And he goes out to her and says, is everything okay? She says, all is well. Gets to the prophet. She doesn't really say anything. She says, I told you, don't give me something and then take it away from me. He knew what that meant. He says, Sat on my donkey and he took off and sent the servant ahead to him and says, lay my staff upon, upon him. And he gets there and talks about how he flopped down on top of him three times and spoke life into him and life came back into him. But what did she say the whole time? She said, all is well. All is well. All is well. Why? Because she wasn't looking at the natural. She wasn't looking at the seen. She was looking at the unseen. And see, we're so programmed. Of course we would be. We, we're in this world. We're so programmed to be, to be moved totally by the seen rather than by the unseen. But you know, as born-again believers, we need to be moved more by what we don't see than by what we see. Because when we're moved by what we see and we, we only focus upon that, this world is hopeless. We're just as hopeless as everybody else if we just simply go by the seen. But we don't. We go by the unseen. We go by what we know on the inside of us be true because of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. In Luke, the 11th chapter, the 5th verse, it says, And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me some uh, three loaves, for a friend of mine has come on a journey and have nothing before him to set before him. And he will answer and within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is shut. Uh, my children are in bed with me. I can't rise and give you. I say, though he will not rise and give to him because of his friend, yet because of his perseverance, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So say, Do you ask and it shall be given, and you seek and you'll find, knock and you shall be opened to you. You know, it also talks about, and that's in the next area, it's talking about the unjust judge. How the woman got her plea because she was so persistent, because she continually would not let up on the judge until she got the ruling that she wanted. And so people say, see, you got to beg God, you got to demand of God, you got to. But it's a comparison. Saying, in the world, this is how it is. You got to plead, you got to beg. But you see, in the unseen world, in Christianity, 
We believe. You don't have to beg God for anything. You know why? Because he's already done it. And so we believe. And so he's not like an unjust judge. He's not like an individual that closes his door and won't open the door to you. He's already opened the door. And because he's opened the door, no one can close it. And every one of his promises to you and me is yes and amen. And what grace does is it reveals to us every one of those promises that belong to us. You know, in Brother Hagin's little mini book, In Him, it talks about the 133 different passages that talk about what belongs to us because we're in Him, in Christ, in whom. All of that talks about what belongs to us because of Jesus. But every one of those things is, is the grace of God. And we don't have to beg for it because Jesus has already made it available to each and every one of us. And so our part is to believe. And you know what? That seems too simple. But I don't know about you. It can be real tough. It can be real tough to believe when everything around you is telling you just the opposite. Everything is contrary to what you're standing on concerning the Word of God. And so that's why the fight that we fight is the fight of faith. It says to be diligent. We talked about this a few weeks ago. To be diligent to enter into the rest. Why is it that we want to enter into the rest? Because in the rest is that place of peace where even though we can't see it yet, we know that it's done. And so we're not moved by everything else that's going on around us. We're confident in what Jesus has done for us. You know, there is a... And I think a lot of times with religious people... They have a difficult time distinguishing between the two. The difference between being confident and being arrogant. We need to have a confidence that when Jesus says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's a confidence. And others will look upon it and they'll, they'll interpret it as, I, I'm not, I, I don't like the word that I used. What, what's, what's a good word for that? They don't see it as confidence. They see it as pride or arrogance or something like that. We're not prideful because we know that without Jesus, we are dead meat. But we have a confidence in him. We have the assurance that what he says, he will do. He will do. What he says, he has done. He has done. And that's where our confidence is. And that's what faith is. It's that assurance that we have what he says. When we say it. Amen. So Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the victory. Lord, I just ask a blessing upon these folk as they go home tonight minister your grace and your mercy to them as we walk in faith in Jesus name amen be blessed have a wonderful evening